and welcome to a very special AV Forums podcast. Joining me on this edition is Steve Withers. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Matt and Craig from THX. Hi, guys. Hi. Hello. Matt, maybe you could start off by introducing yourself to the listeners, and then, Craig, maybe you could do the same. Sure. So my name is Matt Severate. I'm the Senior Manager of Integrated Marketing at THX. It's my responsibility to work with the various THX partners um, from uh, the CE space, uh, automotive space, and the cinema space in ensuring that the co-marketing efforts between THX and uh, all the partners that help interact uh, THX with consumers um, are uh, are done according to you know brand guidelines and things of that sort. So um, I've been with THX for uh, just over three and a half years. Hi, this is uh, Craig Buckley. I am senior R&D engineer THX. Uh, I've been here for ooh, over 10 years now. Uh, I focus primarily on the audio-related um, solutions, so um, anything from specifications for consumer programs to automotive uh, and anything related to uh, our technologies as well. Well, the, the first thing I'm going to say is congratulations on the new Deep Note trailer. I think that's where the majority of our listeners will know THX from, is, is from the trailers that run before certified movies in the cinema and uh, on Blu-ray and DVD. Um, well done on that. We've, we've both just had a, another listen to it, another watch of it. Uh, very interstellar um, in its design, we thought. Yes, thank you. Um, and I understand the original audio engineer was, uh, was called in to give the, the actual sound a refresh as well. The original Deep Note um, was uh, created by uh, Dr. James Andy Moore, who was a sound engineer at Lucasfilm at the time. Um, George Lucas, when he launched THX, or he was about to launch THX in 1982, uh, he wanted an audio uh, trademark to go along with the visual THX logo trademark. And he wanted them both to be part of the pre-show to introduce THX to the cinema audience in the auditoriums that were designed and certified by THX um, that were playing the uh, Return of the Jedi film back in uh, May of 1983. So uh, Dr. James Andy Moore wrote a computer program that ran across the ASP signal processor, which was a computer specifically designed at Lucasfilm to create sound effects for some of the Star Wars films and other Lucasfilm productions. And uh, the Deep Note was actually uh, generated by that software program. So that was back in 1982. And 30 years later, um, we thought it was time to update that iconic sound. So we found Dr. James uh, Andy Moore in Florida, retired, and we asked him to come back to Skywalker Ranch and remix his iconic creation using some of the modern audio technologies available to us today. And he did that um, in various different formats and lengths, um, in everything from uh, a two-channel mix all the way up to a uh, multi-channel Dolby Atmos mix. And our listeners are obviously going to be interested in finding out where they can see this trailer. So uh, are there uh, ways that they can watch this trailer? Definitely. Uh, the uh, the trailer is available for uh, streaming uh, across a couple different uh, web pages, including the THX homepage. Uh, and as well, we uh, are making the trailer available for download in a couple different formats um, from the THX Deep Note page as well. Um, and of course, you can see it at select THX certified cinemas worldwide. Well, that was my next question was, was are you still in that, that area? Do you still certify cinemas? And 
will we see trailers on Blu-rays and, and DVDs going forward? Is that still something that's part of the THX portfolio? THX is still involved in uh, the certification of cinemas. We work with cinema partners all over the world, but the landscape for cinema operators has uh, significantly changed over the last uh, um, really decade, as there are more entertainment options for consumers. Um, you know, this, a lot of the cinema operators have been struggling, and they've been using the pre-show time as a means to collect additional revenues. So instead of playing um, trailers like the THX trailer, they quite often sell that pre-show time to advertisers and simply run commercials. So at this time, it's really up to the cinema operator as to whether they will play the THX trailer or uh, play something else. Um, in terms of hard media like Blu-rays and DVDs, um, we, we don't do that anymore. and We have no plans to certify that content. Uh, the standard for Blu-ray has, uh, has become very good and there really wasn't a need for that program anymore. Um, you're uh, a lot more likely to see some sort of THX mark of certification and quality across uh, other types of uh, platforms for content delivery, um, things like OTT, for example. So um, we look forward to uh, improving the quality of those experiences rather than working on something that we feel is uh, really quite mature, such, such as Blu-ray. Okay, that's interesting, and I'm sure that's a subject that we could come back to at a later date, talking about streaming and, and, and that technology and where THX can help out. But the reason for the podcast today was to take a look at the changing formats for audio in the home and in the cinema. So perhaps we could start by giving us an overview of the different immersive audio formats out there. Okay, so we have the most popular or the most uh, present in the market is Dolby Atmos. Um, where um, it's basically an extension of what they did in the past, um, taking typically a true HD lossless stream and adding metadata, um, allowing you to have, um, rather than channels, it's object-based. You can basically put a, a sound or um, an object anywhere in the space using a variety of uh, speakers around the user um, and above the user. And... Um, so that works on traditional uh, Dolby encoded streams as an extension. Um, so it fits on Blu-rays um, and with Dolby Digital Plus, it can go uh, on any streaming content, lossy, but uh, still present. Um, so we've done an extensive analysis on, on the Dolby Atmos format because it's, it's in the market. It's starting to mature a little bit. Um, DTS, uh, their X, they've only really announced. And so... Um, it's been a long time coming, and we we still haven't had a chance to do any kind of evaluation in the consumer space, and so it's it's really hard to see where that's really going to go and how that's going to play out. Um, and for the Oro, again, we haven't analyzed that. Uh, we're looking to possibly doing that in the near future. Um, analyze that's more of a a layer based um, system. It's it's still object based, if you will, um, but it has. Uh, layers of speakers and so uh, the challenge with all these formats is uh, is the customer really expected to add more speakers to their space and will they get the benefit if they do that or are there other technology solutions out there that can minimize that and still allow them to get the uh, expected performance. That's an interesting angle to probably explore. Does this affect the director's intent, the creator's intent if 
people at home can't put speakers in specified locations to get the effect and it's uh, bouncing sound off ceilings and so on. It, is that still delivering what, what the creator intended and, and what's THX's view on that? Like I said, we did a, a pretty extensive analysis on Atmos uh, because it is uh, it is available, readily available, and, and we've signed up uh, with them to allow us to do that. With their solution, and, and I would imagine the, uh, the competing ones when they're um, readily available will have similar concerns. If we take Dolby Atmos in particular, I think it's pretty pretty understood that they're not expecting a very large percentage of users to add more speakers to their existing setup just because of the complexity and cost of installation, the look of having speakers, more speakers around you and above you. So one of their solutions was a their own technology, the Dolby-enabled speaker to bounce off the ceiling, as, as you pointed out. And that, as we've analyzed, uh, it has its pros and cons. Um, it can provide some of the benefit of elevation, which is really what they're going for. And the minimum to be an Atmos system is at least two speakers above you. So in this case, their minimum would be what they call a 5.2.2, sorry, 5.1.2, five channels the standard 5.1, three front screen channels, two surrounds, 0.1 for an LFE, and two above you, either right above you in a central seating space, or uh, in the front or behind. And so with their technology, they're actually expecting the best case to be, if I build the dopamine-enabled speaker into existing speakers, I'm not adding anything physically to the room I'm changing maybe my, my speaker type um, to a, a newer model that has it built in, or there are several manufacturers making units that actually stack on top um, of, exist, of their existing branded speakers or as a generic speaker, as an add-on. The performance is, let's just say, it, it can provide the elevation that you're looking for, um, but there are definitely drawbacks, and we can go into some details of that I I if you wish. Um, so the benefit is there. Is it as good as doing discrete? Absolutely not. Um, it it's a compromise to put a speaker in a different location and, and bounce sound around the space. Uh, and it's very room-dependent and seating position-dependent. And so ideally, you would put speakers right where they are intended to be, just like in the theater. You don't have that issue in a theater. Um, you have a lot more speakers to cover the space, but they're in a location to provide the sound where you, where the mixer can actually place that sound and, and get the most realistic effect. So, and mo most of this is elevation for the for the home. They're not really promoting adding so many of those possible 24 screen and surround channels at this time. Um, it's more of a toned down version, say up to nine around you in, in a circle. So. The question is, uh, what are DTS and uh, Aura planning on doing with that type of a solution looking at Dolby is not expecting people to go the route and the expense of adding all these speakers. And if the other two competing technologies don't come up with a, something equivalent, then it's possible you won't get any of the effect that they are intending. From the testing that you've done so far, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Um, sure. Hope you don't mind. But no. from the testing that you've done so far with actually having a speaker in the location versus a speaker bouncing the sound off the ceiling, um, is it worth the expense that will be incurred 
to bounce bounce the sound off the ceiling? Um, is is it going to make a noticeable difference for the end user to spend the money to upgrade to that system? It's interest. It's an interesting question because um, it's still early in the uh, in the content part of it and in, in the studio mixing part. And and we've talked with uh, several companies. I, I won't mention who they are, mixing studios, and they based upon our analysis and a discussion with them, um, you know, we, we take a completely agnostic approach. We'll look at it without any regards to, to, to any limitation. Um, whereas a, a mixer will mix it in an ideal situation where they do have discrete speakers. And when you translate that to reflected sound, you get some of the effect, but you don't get the true effect. And so in particular, the Dolby enabled speaker has frequency range limits. And what you're basically getting when you place a speaker close to, let's say, the, uh, the front screen channels, when you place a speaker on top of that to reflect the sound, to give the, the sense of elevation, lower frequency sounds, you will hear it directly from where it's emanating. And so you won't get the elevation capability with lower frequency sounds. Whereas higher frequency, you have the ability to reflect it off of the ceiling in this case but you're really limited to more impulsive sounds and, and effects. And it would be impossible in reality to put a voice on the ceiling with a reflected type speaker setup because you're going to get the higher frequencies coming off the ceiling and the lower frequencies coming from the location of where the speaker is. You get a smearing in actuality. So if you look at what you can put on at the elevation point, you are limited to the type of content that you that you can put up there accurately with a reflected speaker source. So if mixers know that, will they be mixing expecting what Dolby are expecting, a huge percentage to not have dedicated speakers on the ceiling? And if that's the case, then they're limiting their mixing. And so we all know in the past they would, a typical mix would be done on a nice um, multi-channel system in a nice aligned calibrated room. And a lot of times they will down mix into stereo and listen to it over TV, uh, TV or a stereo pair of speakers just to make sure that everything is still there and it still sounds accurate enough and it's listenable and, and voice is present. So in this case, I, I because it's very specific to Dolby's technology, will, will mixing studios actually put these speakers in and say, let's see what it sounds like with what they're expecting. Um, most people will playback um, over the Atmos system using reflective speakers. So th that, that's a big question. In our tests, we, you do get the, the sense of elevation with, with their speaker technology, but it, it is, it's more of an effect. And to get a true sound full range to be where it needs to be, uh, you, you just can't do it with reflective sound. So I guess, you know, looking at the cinema version, Let's let's look at Atmos because that's that's what we're talking about. So the cinema version of Atmos is going is completely different to what will be delivered in the home. I guess if you add discrete speakers to the ceiling, and and obviously you are limited um, to what is currently available in decoding products, so receivers and preamplifiers, and I, I think the highest right now is um, nine point one point two or sorry nine point one point four, and so you're limited to four overhead speakers. And the typical arrangement would be top middle, so 
above the primary listening locations um, and maybe top front or top middle and top rear. And so in the theater, you have you don't have that limitation. You have the full 32 um, or whatever or 64, whatever's available or whatever they've they've set up a minimum number of um, top speakers and screen and surround channels. So right now you can't get that many in decoding existing products on the market today anyway. Um, but I think they're really going for to get the effect of height. And to do that, you need a minimum of two and you can have up to four. And down the road, I, I would imagine it will go up as high as eight, uh, sorry, six, two in the front, two right above you and, and two in the rear on the top side. Um, so you, you can get um, a good majority of the effect by having dedicated speakers um, on the ceiling. And, and it can be pretty impressive. I mean, it really does depend on the movie, and we've we have all the uh, current Atmos mixes here. And some movies are they mix a lot of content up there. They're they're really trying to trying to push the envelope. And other movies, there's virtually nothing. And so it really comes down to the mixer. Are they doing a dedicated mix for the home? Um, and but you really can get a good sense of what you heard in the theater. In a, in a nice environment in the home if you set it up properly. Craig, um, I've actually got a 7.1.4 system at home. Um, yeah. And I've been to uh, Atmos enabled, um, I've been to Dolby's head office, in, uh, which is very strangely near where I live. And they showed me their um, huge cinema there, which is an Atmos setup. So I've been in that, um, seeing content in that in, environment with you know, speakers all the way down the side, right from the screen to the back and behind you and all the way down the other side, right up the screen, and then two arrays are directly above you. I mean, how close an approximation am I getting with a 7.1.4 system at home to what you would actually hear in the cinema, do you think? I would say... Um, I've got overhead speakers, by the way. I'm not using up the phone. I've got genuine overhead speakers. And you have them in what location? Well, I was going to ask you this question because this is, this is the interesting point, which is that, um, you know, where would you recommend... If someone wants to do a genuine 7. Well, obviously, this, you know where the seven speakers are going to go. So if you want to do a genuine 7.1.4 system in terms of having discrete overhead channels and speakers above you, where would you recommend they're installed? Looking at Dolby's minimum requirements, we would agree with their minimum requirements having it. Um, if, if you're only going to have two, uh, you definitely want them uh, right above you. Um, if, if you put them in front of you or behind you, it, it's a lot closer to a slight elevation from the front or elevation from the back. But to get the, the true sense of elevation, if, you, if you've got a minimum of two, uh, the, the top middle location, as they would call it, would be best. For, for a four setup, it, it's interesting. We tried it as a, as a front and a rear um, setup and also the, the top middle and the top front. And again, it comes back to, the, to how the mixer intends it and how best that translates into your room. Uh, for our purposes, for, for a nice dedicated room that we would consider an IEC standard um, room, the top front and top middle gave us the best effect. Mainly because if you look at, um, do you have one row of seating? Do you have two rows of seating in your room? Um, just one row. Just one row. So we, we found that if you put the speakers in the rear and looking at Dolby's minimum requirement for the height of all your screen and surround channels, um, we found that we preferred the surround channels higher up. And when you put them higher up, um, but not too high, not, not like the old days um, where they're you know, only a few feet from the ceiling. So we're, we're lower than that, but 
when you put the speakers higher up on the surrounds, um, you get a better effect for people in the room, mainly because um, if you're sitting in the middle of a, let's say, a sofa, and you have people sitting left and right of you, if you put the surround speakers low down, especially on the left and the right surround, the, those primary speakers, they're actually masked, um, whereas before they were always above, you know, pretty pretty high up. So by having them, say, four feet or four and a bit feet, um, as, as Dolby recommend, at a minimum, we found that they get masked from people or objects sitting on the left or the right of you. And so by putting those higher up, you got a better effect and less masking from from other people in, in the in the space. But also, when you put them higher up, when you put speakers in the rear on the ceiling, there's less distinction between what is a rear surround and a rear height. It became less clear, and you could almost listen to a, a mix that didn't have dedicated sounds going to only that location. If it was more of a general sounds moving around, you could almost not tell they were there. And so, uh, not saying that, that it wouldn't be beneficial if the spacing was further apart or you had a larger room, of course. Um, but definitely if you had a second row of seating, um, that second row is typically closer to the rear wall. Uh, and with that case, it, there's definitely, um, it, it, it's harder to tell what is rear surround or back surround, as some people call it, and the uh, top rear. So we found that having it directly above you and in front, because most of the content is about what you see on the screen, um, you have some expectation that the sounds should match what you see on the screen. And so far, a lot of mixes have not detracted from if I have a voice on the screen, it shouldn't be floating around the room. If I have um, an object moving around and I see it on the screen, it should be on the screen or above the screen from what I'm looking at. If it's flying overhead or moving overhead, uh, eventually it would typically either start on the screen and end on the screen. And so having speakers um, at the top front is beneficial to get the elevation from what you're seeing on the screen and above your head um, and the rear less so. So, so I would say in general, the top front and the top middle are would be preferred in a in a seven point one point four configuration. And and you think that um, with that configuration, you can get a pretty good approximation of what you'd hear in a cinema. I would say I would say yes. Um, it is room dependent. If you have a small room, um, you know the speakers get closer together, and so we found that you don't want the top front and the top middle to be too close together. Um, but you also don't want them too far apart, uh, meaning if you if you have the top front very close to the screen, um, you get the you start to lose the sense of it being a, a really a separate element. And um, I would say, depending on the movie, of course, um, we, we've heard some pretty good stuff here um, on some mixes. Well, actually, I was going to ask since you mentioned it, which of the um, available Blu-rays have you um, listened to so far that you thought that's a really good Atmos mix that uses the overhead speakers very effectively? I would say um, the most content that is used overhead of all the movies we've tested has been John Wick. And Funny enough, I watched that on Sunday and I have to agree with you. I thought they used it really cleverly in that film. Well, see, uh, during our analysis, we, uh, we didn't limit ourselves to just listening to the whole mix. We listened to individual channels um, 
and or so I shouldn't say channels, I should say speakers um, in different locations with just that content on it and uh, and trying different decoding setups for 5.1.2, 7.1.4 and also setting overhead speakers to top front or top middle, top rear um, and even configuring them incorrectly and putting them in different locations to see the effect. And for John Wick, they, they, they really did mix a lot of music, surprisingly, um, to try and get the effect that you're, you're in the scene. And so there's a lot of content up there. And if we looked at uh, the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, there's very little in that movie. And you really have to, you really have to listen for it. And you almost don't know it's there. But when, during our analysis, turning off all the other speakers and just listening to those, you could hear what was there. Well, it's interesting is you don't notice that when you're listening to the movie, but it does add some ambience. And so it's almost like a perceptual effect. You don't know where it's coming from. It's there. Um, that movie did not have a lot of content. And so it would seem like it's almost a waste mixing that movie in Atmos if they're not really going to take advantage of that capability. Now, I don't know what the theatrical mix is like, and it could be very similar. Um, and this plays into the, what is the studio, what are they willing to do for the for the home mix? Are they going to do a, a just a straight translation from the theatrical mix, or are they going to do something special? Um, and that comes down to director and the studio, of course, and, and the amount of time and, and money available. So, so it is it is content specific. You do seem to be able to get a pretty good uh, sense of the of the whole scenario in a 7.1.4. We wouldn't recommend a 5.1.any scenario only because um, we found that if you don't have rear speakers, rear surround speakers, you really do lose the whole fill of the space. And in all configurations of a 5.1.2 or 4, we found that without getting that rearward pull, the, the sound field is much smaller, and so we would always recommend the original 7.1 setup, and then add your speakers for your your height or your elevation on top of that. So you're suggesting if you've got uh, a nine-channel, most of them I think at the moment, apart from one exception, are nine-channel receivers, that you, you're best going for 7.1 point no, yeah, 7.1.2 configuration rather than the 5.1.4. Yes. Okay, it's interesting. What about room size issues? So let's say that the, the sofa is too far towards the, the rear wall. What did you find in testing there? In it, well, in our, in our scenario, we, we had two rows, so that would be equivalent to, say, sitting in the, in, in the second row where you're close to the other. So one of the, one of the real issues, and this is going to be a problem for all of these, um, these other contenders out there, um, when you move closer to... Um, some of the speaker locations. So in our case, the second row, um, you're a lot closer to the rear surrounds or the, or the back surrounds. And we found that those dominate. And they dominate the, the, the surround and the elevation effect um, because they are, they can be louder. So it, if you cali- it all comes down to calibration. So if we, if we move to that second row, closer to the rear wall and, and much closer to the rear surrounds. And remember, these are lower down. They're not at the, uh, say, six foot or seven foot um, height that they used to be that we used to recommend. They're now sitting between four and five feet. 
So you could be practically on access with that speaker, um, depending on where you're sitting. And so it becomes very a very dominant speaker. Uh, likewise, um, if you're sitting far left, um, you could be closer to the left or right surround, and that becomes a dominant um, speaker. And it really does detract. And so if you are closer, calibrating the levels is absolutely key. You need to calibrate where your primary seating location is. Uh, otherwise, it becomes such a dominant effect, you'll certainly still hear the voice and the screen channel information, but all the surround content it gets really lost when you have a speaker behind you or to the left or right of you if you're sitting pretty close. It, it really does play a, a, a dominant effect, and you really do lose the, uh, the, the sense of spaciousness and, uh, and the performance that you would hope you would be going for. You mentioned calibration. I was going to ask the question about, um, I mean, most receivers these days will have some form of automated room EQ on there, uh, Odyssey probably being the most dominant. Uh, in your testing, how effective have you found these automated systems being for calibrating all these multiple speakers, configurations with speakers overhead and, and speakers all around? We haven't done extensive testing on for an Atmos setup for um, the automatic uh, decoders or, or calibrators. Um, we have found that they've been um, – a lot of manufacturers are looking at their own solution. And I know Odyssey is still pretty prominent on, uh, on the higher-end products, uh, and they have a lot of feature set. Um, they can work, um, but th there's really no replacement for um, – especially because everyone's room is different. Um, you know, relying on, on, on a user to put a microphone in a specific spot – can they even find the microphone after the initial setup? It really is better to have a uh, your own little affordable handheld uh, SPL meter and and sit in the location and, and also you know move it around to the left and the right uh, seats if that's a, a wider seating area and and calibrate it that way. The automated ones, um, although they can work, there there's no guarantee and uh, and we haven't done a, a lot of testing with. Um, a full Atmos setup with the automated ones. Um, and so it, it's so room dependent um, that you really do want to spend some time and make sure you do set that up correctly because that becomes much more important in an Atmos setup uh, because you have so many speakers. And like I said, the, uh, the dominance effect that you get when you are closer to one of those speakers. And so um, there is really only one small sweet spot right in the center that you can truly calibrate accurately um, but uh, you can get a pretty good uh, pretty good three three seating arrangement I suppose I guess the big difference when it comes to the room as we're discussing it here is that in the UK room sizes are tiny compared to the average room size in in, in the US and, and other countries what effect overall effect do you think the room will have on the take up of of these more immersive formats? Do you think that the bigger the room, the more it suits it? Or do you think it'll be just a custom installation route for uh, the majority of uptake? Or do you think um, the public can be won over with you know firing speakers at ceilings instead of putting speakers up there? Where do you see things going? Well, it's really interesting. It really depends if you're buying from from scratch, if you, if you already have a system and you want to upgrade, or if you're buying a, a completely new system. I know... The, the sound bar market is pretty prominent these days, and 
I suppose we're all expecting uh, Dolby to come out with their version of their uh, technology in, in that speaker format. Um, so if, if you're looking for really compact, all-in-one, obviously you're going to be limited, um, but it, it would certainly, as far as an SPL-wise, a smaller soundbar would possibly fill the room with sound, but as far as getting the, the effect, we won't know until those products are when and if they do come on the market. And so small rooms are always going to suffer from, you know, you typically would want some kind of treatment in the room to not make it so live, um, but you don't want too much to where it's it, it's so dead that you don't get any of the sense of spaciousness. I mean, obviously, smaller speakers would work in a smaller space to get the to get the level. Uh, we always recommend a dedicated subwoofer, of course, and and we have our compact speaker program to accommodate smaller rooms. Um, so, I I would say adding a lot of if you went the full six speaker height arrangement in a small room, you're probably not going to get much benefit over say a four uh, and two maybe enough in a small space if you're sitting really close to all the speakers you may not get the best effect putting a set of four on the ceiling as far as the reflected speaker I would think a lot of people just might be satisfied to hear something above them but we could never recommend something like that because it's so limiting that even taking a not very good speaker system and placing it around a room you get you get a surround performance effect and if you do a reflected speaker even on a low quality speaker system it's it's it adds it adds the effect they're going for it adds some some elevation but it's not a true representation in in any sense of the word and so um I and mean, we've tried very expensive Dolby enabled speakers and we've tried the cheapest as well and they there are some benefits to going with a, with a more expensive unit but the drawbacks that I mentioned previously are, are still there getting a natural sound out of it is also an issue because you don't actually see the speaker so you're always off axis and it's always reflecting or you're hearing even some sound reflecting off of the the nearest wall and so we would always recommend dedicated speakers um, on a ceiling, even a small room, if possible. Um, but we know that the reality is that, that that's going to be a challenge for a lot of people, and the wiring and uh, and the mounting and 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 what does it look like if it's protruding from the ceiling? Going back to the early days of THX, um, when we had ProLogic, um, which was a matrix system, you know, you had your own technology there, ReQ, and uh, your technology for the rear speakers as well to give it a stereo effect. When you're talking about reflective speakers, is that an area where THX could bring some technology in to improve the performance? Yes, it's possible. We've discussed it internally. We have some technology that we have looked at, some applications in the past that would be relevant in this space. I mean, it's still a challenge for most people to the added cost of adding something new to an existing setup. I mean, to get Atmos at the minimum, you're, if you have dedicated speakers, you're going to have to replace your decoder solution, so your receiver or your preamplifier. Um, and then you're either going to add speakers or you're going to replace what you already have. And so there are other ways to do the technology that the Dolby have implemented. They went with the probably the lowest cost with, the, with the, their minimum intended effect uh, solution. For us, that, that's 
yes, like I said in the past, it, it does provide some benefit, um, but you don't get the true benefit. And, and we really hope that mixers don't look at that if it becomes a big market penetration solution using a, a Dolby-enabled speaker, for example. We're hoping the mixers don't look at that and, and only mix knowing the, the limitations of that technology um, and, and they start only mixing higher frequency sounds to that um, because that, that would really detract and there is no separate mix for speakers that are Dolby enabled and speakers that are not. So you really have to mix no, expecting people have a really grandiose system and let the consumer products do the best they can to, rep, to reproduce that. And some um, mixers we've talked to have uh, I, I, you know, listened to the information we gave them and, and said, hmm, that's interesting. But we don't know where they're going to go with that. And we hope that they don't limit themselves just because of one specific technology that provides a benefit to get some market penetration, but is limited because because of that. We've been talking a lot about Atmos here because you've done a lot of testing with Atmos. Auto is is around. It uses slightly different approach in terms of it uses height speakers at about thirty degrees to the horizontal plane, which is slightly different to to Atmos. So so those two systems are not quite compatible in terms of speaker location. If we move to DTSX, and they've said in their their interview with us recently and, and in the press materials that. Um, it doesn't matter about the speaker locations. They'll sort it out. Where do you think they're coming from with quotes like that? And, and is the technology possible? It's possible. I mean, it, it's, a, it's kind of a wait and see. Um, a lot of, you know, they are very, in my opinion, they're very late to the market. They've been talking about this for a long time. And either they, it took them that long to come up with a solution um, like, what Dolby, like what Dolby did, um, so they can they can make that claim, um, but but until it's in the market and it's really available and it, and it can be evaluated, it's really hard to say. With all of these, the biggest problem is, is there one speaker setup that works with all three, and that is the real big question. And you cannot expect people to rearrange their speaker system for what's decoding. I mean, that's 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 an obvious. Um, so. It's it will be interesting, and they're saying they're they're making claims. Um, we, you know, even with a with the Dolby testing, um, we we found that not just the angle of the speakers, but um, which which actually can be detrimental on the ceiling if you if you angle it towards you, it, it you can lose the effect of height. And so obviously Dolby did some did their homework here, but they also had to make it so it was uh, palatable in the market. So it's kind of a give or take, but they, they did come up with a, with a solution that gives the effect, and it would be interesting to see how DTS go about doing that. It's interesting you, you mentioned the, the angle of the speaker, because um, obviously we've also sat down with Wilfried van Balen, who uh, invented the Oro system, and he's very adamant about having the, the horizontal layer being a 5.1 or a 7.1, and then having um, height speakers, like I say, at 30 degrees to the horizontal plane not above you because in the real world very few reflections actually come to you from above. Um, what would you say to, to his analysis there? To answer that question, we, we did try the, the Dolby setup with um, the front and rear height. So that, that is an option as well. 
which so that is not on the ceiling. That is on the front and rear walls, uh, closer to the ceiling. Um, so you are getting maybe not depending on the size of the room, of course. In our size room, we weren't able to get a 30 degrees, but at least a 20, 20 something degrees. It, we tried so many different scenarios that um, you know there were pluses and minus for each. Um, but we did find, as Dolby do state, that for ceiling speakers, they need to fire straight down. And we would definitely promote that. We would say, do never angle them. So when you, when you obviously, when you mount them 20 or 30 degrees, and if they're not on the ceiling, we found that you, you did get elevation, but it wasn't, it wasn't as extreme. And so you got the effect, but it, it, it wasn't as it's kind of hard to describe. Do you prefer a, a taller front screen image or do you prefer it being really far above your head or, or the possibility of being very far above your head? And, and we found benefits to, to both methods. And it, 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 a lot of it will come down to what is, the, what is the user preference. Now, a lot of people might rely on a company like ours to, to, to guide them. And, and, and when we did our analysis, we kind of came up with two or three best scenarios depending on what you were looking for. And, and if you were looking for a, a larger um, front screen height, then placing them on the, uh, on the front wall at 20 plus degrees um, will give you that effect without having to put anything on your ceiling. And so it becomes a, a trade-off between are you willing to put it on your ceiling and if not, would you be happy with just having a larger front, front and rear screen um, or front screen and, and rear elevation, but not directly above your head. And so, and if that was acceptable, then, then you still get the effect. You, it's just not as expansive. So w when you're looking at the angle of those speakers, like I said, the, the ceiling should fire straight down. We're, we would be very adamant about following that uh, directive. But on the walls, you, you would most likely, you'd already be at least 20 plus degrees off anyway. Angling them towards the user probably is not necessary. So um, you'd probably fire those straight off the wall like you would the, the screen channels and the surround channels. Craig, are these, uh, these new formats, are they being sort of factored into the whole THX certification process for, for receivers and for processors? Uh, yes. Um, obviously, it needs to be, you know, DTS or not in the market yet. And so until that ends up in a product, I mean, we, we could evaluate the, 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 the technology or the solution if we work with them prior to being in a product. But if it ends up in a product, then yes, we are, we are factoring that in. Like I said before, you know, Dolby have done a pretty good market penetration. Um, and, and Aura, we, 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 we started to look at it, but we haven't really done a real analysis of it. And so I think I said before that is there a speaker arrangement that, that works for all the formats? Um, will we be able to ourselves come up with a solution that, that makes all of them provide the best performance um, with one setup? I think the answer is going to be that it's probably unlikely you'll get the, the most optimum performance with one setup, but hopefully there's a compromise um, that allow the benefits of each of the immersive formats to uh, to provide adequate performance, um, we always look for best performance. Um, but sometimes, when when you're, you know, DTS and Dolby didn't 
really compete with different speaker layouts be before. And so now, possibly, and with Aura, it will be. And so a lot of it comes down to we don't want to go too far outside of what we think a user would do it also. So um, we always have to be mindful of that. Um, so yes, we are looking at those as, as part of our home consumer program. And for DTS, we will, we will have to wait and see. I know that Dolby and also DTS have talked about having sort of a, a single solution in terms of um, an object-based mix, which is then used to create other mixes after that. Um, the idea being, I guess, to make it cheaper for the studios and easier. Right. Given that THX is always about retaining the creator's intentions, is it possible to do that still if you're starting with an object-based mix and then you're moving down to something in a home, you know, in a person's home cinema where they've only got uh, 5.1.2, for example? Part of, uh, I think, part of Dolby's object renderer in, the, in their decoding solution is to take that into account. Now, how well that works is, you know, that kind of information is not available to really anyone. That's their own internal methodology. Um, the idea is that it provides the optimum solution based upon whatever speakers you have. For us, the real the real question is, for if you compare a theatrical release, uh, as far as I know, you can completely automate the process to a home mix where you pretty much put it into a software program and, and it spits out the solution and no mixer ever got involved and, and they probably just review it at the end. So when you go with something like that, there is the possibility that the effect is lost. Now, obviously, I have no knowledge of, of the, the performance of that, um, and it could depend on the original mix. If there's a lot of content for elevation or, or a large number of speakers around you um, or not. So, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that is an option for studios um, as the low co lowest cost solution. And then there's the dedicated mix. So again, it really comes down to what the what the movie studio and the director are looking for if if they really are passionate about it and they're willing to invest the time and the money then and, and that's pretty much what we're seeing with the available uh, blu-ray discs although some of them don't seem to have much content there as far as overhead or immersive but uh, and like I said John Wake does and so they're really looking at maximizing the it's really the content they're trying to maximize um, your your immersion in that content and so if they put a lot into it you know the consumer gets a lot back and so um, it's really heavily on, dependent on that okay i guess and finally i mean with all these new audio formats coming into place and i know phil that's mentioned it previously about thx being used with the old prologic mixes and that kind of thing but do you think thx will still remain relevant in the modern world and where do you think you can add value with these new formats well like our like our video program you know you have you have HDR and you have high frame rates and things like that. It's it's funny how um, sometimes you can have manufacturers come out with features before the studios are ready to implement them. And so our purpose has really always been to to kind of ground ground everyone. Um, in the past, we we've waited for um, the market to mature before putting our our standards on and on our what we think is the best for the consumer in their home or their auto or, or you know their mobile space. So um, the market's changed so quickly nowadays. Um, you know, obviously we we have our, our say in all these different areas. Um, with someone like DTS coming out with something that that no one is, no one really knows how it's going to play out. It, it is tough. You know, it, it's um, 
I should probably let Matt Matt handle that question more than me, but uh, we, we always look at everything that's available in the market. So we, even though we may not have a message out there, we most likely looked at or analyzed it. Um, and so it, it's a matter of how do we message that and, and how do we create or modify our existing programs um, to work with what's out there that's best for the customer. Sure. I think, uh, so I'll chime in real quick. I think what's important to remember is, you know, THX isn't, uh, you know, we don't essentially have anything to do with the actual technology itself here, meaning, you know, Dolby owns Atmos, Oro owns their sound encoding, decoding format, DTS owns, DTSX, etc. But these formats are technologies and they can be experienced uh, poorly and they can provide a very, very good experience as well. So what THX is most interested in is um, listening to the content creators who are using these technologies to develop their content and then working with the technology companies such as Dolby and DTS and the product manufacturers from you know the Onkyo on the receiver side to uh, loudspeaker manufacturers to ensure that there is a proper medium and a proper process for implementing these technologies uh, in a home theater environment. And that's really where we've always been able to demonstrate value and it's where we'll demonstrate value again as these technologies uh, become more mainstream and developed. Um, you know, the reason we don't always uh, kind of, uh, you know, make recommendations and write out new specifications um, when these technologies are being introduced is simply because there aren't enough parties and people involved who have made a uh, kind of a, a consensus, have, have come to a consensus um, with regards to how to best implement these things. We're still talking to all the content creators and the studio executive to gain their feedback on, um, you know, how does this technology play into the home? You know, uh, Craig mentioned earlier that uh, there is the possibility of uh, uh, having the Dolby renderer actually create the scaled down mix, right? Where um, there isn't an actual sound engineer who's redoing the audio mix for the home and home entertainment space. It's just being done by a computer. In which case, you know, is that really what the artist intended, or is this what? Dolby's computer intended or DTS's computer intended. And that's where we get into this really gray area where it's simply going to take a little bit more time to figure out how good these solutions from companies like Dolby and DTS are and you know how much how much uh, variance can we have in the home entertainment space and still feel comfortable with uh, delivering the artist's vision. And that's kind of where we decide to draw our box and say, look, um, if you're using this technology and the application is such in the home environment, uh, we feel comfortable with you being able to experience the artist's true intent. Um, and that becomes our specifications. And anything outside of that, we say, you know, it's too far away from what the guys uh, who created the content wanted. Matt, Craig, we're really grateful for the time that you've spent with us um, today on the podcast, answering our questions about immersive audio. It's also interesting to find out what's happened through your assessment, um, certainly of Dolby Atmos, a, a lot of interesting information there. Thank you again, Craig. Thank you again, Matt. And my thanks to Steve for joining me on the podcast. Uh, that is another special AV Forums podcast. We hope you enjoyed uh, the show. And please get in touch in the thread underneath this podcast if you have any further questions. And we'll see you again very soon. Thank you.